If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Wednesday, March the 28th, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Our guest today in the Hoover studio, deep in the heart of Stanford University's campus, Scott Pruitt. He is the 14th Administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Prior to coming to Washington, Mr. Pruitt served as the Attorney General of Oklahoma. How does D.C. compare to the OKC? A little different. Uh, the basketball team's a little bit better in Oklahoma City uh, than, than we have in D.C., but uh, no, it's been a good transition for my family. The kiddos, uh, uh, one is at UVA Law School and the other is at OU uh, for a freshman year, so we're empty nesters. So my wife and I have been able to transition well. Outstanding. So you and I share a religion, it sounds like, and that is baseball. I constantly yes. lobby for opening day to be a national holiday. I fail at this, so I just make it a personal work stoppage day or work shortage day where I pretend I'm working, but I'm watching baseball around the clock. You played in college, yes? Yes, I did. At UK? I did. University of Kentucky? That's right. What position? Second base. Okay, so the question you ask any young man who played baseball, when did you hit the wall? When did you realize it just wasn't going to happen? You know, I, I actually had pre-draft workouts my junior and senior year with the Reds uh, uh, while I was in college. Uh, you know, really for me, I, I, I had, my interest had, had changed. You know, my junior and senior in, in college, I was heading to law school, and it was more of just – uh, life passion as opposed to anything else. Uh, and, uh, but, but a few years later, was blessed with the opportunity to, to, to purchase and uh, own a uh, AAA baseball team. So I got back in the baseball business, uh, a Rangers affiliate in Oklahoma City. So enjoyed that. So baseball's been a big part of my life for a lot of years. They were the uh, Red Hawks when you owned them, right? That's right. Rangers now the, affiliate. Now the Dodgers. Dodgers, that's right. Oklahoma uh, which Dodgers is, doesn't sound right for some reason. I, I, I agree. Like Utah Jazz. I, that's right. So the same question I'd ask George W. Bush if I had him sitting here. You owned a baseball team. Why would you want to get into politics? <laughs> well, it was a great uh, – I enjoyed those eight years. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but at the same time, I was serving uh, in the Senate for a per- period of time. And then I was out of the politics for, for uh, four or five years. And then recognized in 2010 – uh, the importance of attorneys general at, at the state level and responding to what we saw at that point is the federal overreach, much of which we're dealing with now through regulatory reform, and spent six years uh, obviously focused upon that. So I was comfortable, to your point, Bill. I wasn't uh, terribly jazzed about getting into politics. In fact, struggled with it so much, I didn't decide to run until May of whatever year that was, 2010, and the primary was in July, as I recall. So right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't make those kind of decisions if, if, if it's an easy call. Do you think the future holds politics for you? You were buzzed about in terms of being Oklahoma governor, for example. Well, I mean, I think as, as I look at those kinds of questions, those kinds of questions, I mean, you can't measure those things. I didn't right. know I'd own a AAA baseball team. I mean, I, I think what's important is for us to, to, to do the job that's before us now and, and do it with all the, the, the uh, focus that we, that we need and, and then uh, make decisions like that as they come. But, uh, you know, tomorrow, Bill, uh, all 30 teams are opening up on March 31st, earliest, I think, in a long time. And then I think it's the first time since 1968 that all 30 teams are opening up the same day. So yes, they're trying to avoid November at all, at all costs. Okay. Yeah. 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 So excited about that. I don't know where the Giants are opening up, but... Uh, Down in Los Angeles, they're facing Clayton Kershaw. Okay. Well, yeah. that's a good way to open up the year. <laughs> it's an odd thing, Thursday baseball, but we'll get used to it. So let's get into the job at hand here. And I'm going to read you a couple of headlines and then a pull quote about you. And I want you to explain this to me. Here's the New York. The, let's start with the New York Times op-ed headline: Scott Pruitt's attack on science would paralyze the EPA. The New Yorker: Scott Pruitt's dirty politics. Mother Jones making America toxic again. Conversely, here's what the National Review wrote about you: 
quote, the administrator of the EPA is himself an endangered species, a Washingtonian who cares whether he actually technically has the power to do what he wants to do. So are you a guy just trying to do your job? Uh, look, my job primarily is to administer statutes, uh, and and I think that's been lost in Washington the last several years. The regulatory state, and not only at the EPA, but across several agencies, Interior and others, uh, you had bureaucrats and regula- regulatory action being taken that, were, that was untethered to the statutes, where Congress had not spoken, where Congress had not acted. The executive branch, through regulatory uh, action, felt like they could pinch it uh, for Congress. And what happened? Tremendous confusion, litigation, uncertainty. Uh, the two biggest rules that the Obama administration adopted, the Clean Power Plan and the Waters of the United States rule, both were stayed by federal courts, the former by the U.S. Supreme Court, the latter by the Sixth Circuit. And why? Uh, Because, again, uh, there was a belief by the courts at that time that what they did did through that regulation, uh, those regulations were not consistent with the statutory authority. So rule of law matters. You know, the enforcement authority, the the authority I have under statute, jurisdiction I have under statute matters. Mm -hmm. It can't be overlooked. And I think what happens uh, uh, with that going forward is when you engage in rule of law actually meaning something, it provides confidence to those that you regulate, provides certainty to those folks, and you actually achieve better outcomes uh, for the environment. So the EPA is actually the creation of a Republican president, Richard Nixon, reorganization plan three. You as an Oklahoma attorney general sued EPA at least a good dozen times, right? I think like 13, 14 times. That's correct. Yeah. How did EPA go off the rails? I mean, I think largely by, by what I said a minute ago, uh, where, where you have uh, decisions being made at the agency that, that are not authorized by a statute. I mean, the Clean Power Plan was an example. Uh, the, the agency, for the first time in history, uh, defined uh, the best system of emission reduction as being we're going to force utility companies across this country uh, to shift their generation of electricity to renewables. There's nothing wrong with renewables and the generation of electricity, but it's not the job of a regulator to coerce that. It's not the job of a regulator. It's not in the statute. You know? and, and that's what they said was the best system of emission reduction uh, for CO2 under Section 111. So that, that, that kind of attitude, that kind of approach, and I think it's reflective of something, Bill. I think it's reflective uh, where regulators see their role as being uh, an arbiter of what should happen in the private markets, markets as opposed to doing what? Making things regular, not picking winners and losers. But making things regular for all that are that that are regulated under a particular rule, and making sure that that it's done consistent with the rule of law and process. You mentioned the science issue, right. you know, from the New York Times. You know what's, you know what they're talking about there. In that situation, we have uh, rules that we've adopted, action that we've taken as an agency historically, where we've contracted science out to a third party. Uh, not done at the agency, but a third party. And as the third party provides the findings and the conclusions, they don't provide the data and the methodology uh, that was used to reach the conclusion. If we do it as an agency, we have to publish it. It's transparent. And and, and, and it's for all the world to see, uh, to to peer review and otherwise. When a third party does it, they don't. And so we just simply made the change to say, look, if we contract out any particular third party to, to undergird rules, uh, we're going to make sure that the data and methodology is transferable and can be viewed by the, the, the public and to ensure that uh, it's been done right. That's only fair. I have found that common sense is not too common in this area, but, but, uh, but it is something that I think is very important. So what is the most common misperception about you and what you're trying to do at EPA? Look, we, well, first, that, that I believe that we have important roles and responsibilities in the agency, and, and, and we should focus on those, the fundamentals, the basics, the, the things that I think impact Americans every single day with the environment, Superfund sites across the country. Right that have been languishing for years, lead in our drinking water with respect to water infrastructure. You know, things we can do today that really benefits uh, the American citizenry with respect to environmental protection. But the other thing that I think is missed 
uh, in this debate about environmental protection is what does it truly mean to be an environmentalist? Does it mean prohibition? Because the past administration told us that we had to choose to put up fences, uh, to say no to the natural resources that we've been blessed with as a country, as opposed to using those natural resources with stewardship principles in mind. So give me the Scott Pruitt definition. What is a Scott Pruitt environmentalist? I, I think it's stewardship. Stewardship. I think it's stewardship as it relates to uh, we have this responsibility to power the world and feed the world, and we've been blessed immensely to whom much is given, much is required. We should use those natural resources and do so with the greatest technology, the latest technology, innovation, to reduce emissions uh, and not pick winners and losers. I mean, it's it, it, to declare a war on your one sector of your economy, right. as the past administration did, fossil fuels, to, to declare a war on fossil fuels, where is that in the statute? Where does that authority exist? It doesn't. And it's simply wrong-headed, in my view, to take that kind of approach. Japan has 40-plus ultra-critical, super-critical coal generation facilities. We have one. You know, so we as a nation can do more to, to see technology taking root to, to benefit outcomes. At the same time, we have to have an attitude that's different from prohibition. We need to focus on stewardship. Okay. Uh, what is your affirmative action agenda for the EPA? I think the two big areas, one one I made reference to this, uh, in a very uh, small way up to now, is the, is the lead. And when you look at lead in our drinking water, it is causing significant health impacts across the country, particularly with aged infrastructure, but also in rural communities. There's been very little done to address that. Uh, we, uh, I actually led uh, a meeting in D.C. with 17 other federal agencies. There's a task force actually from 1997 on this very issue. It's been dormant. We revived it recently, brought 17 agencies together from HUD, Justice, HHS, across the board. We're all in the process of developing a strategy within 60 days to publish and to get, be held accountable to, to advance this war on lead, to eradicate lead from our drinking water, as an example. So that's a huge initiative. And then with respect to Superfunds, I mean, to, to have sites on our Superfund list dating back to inception of the statute, you know, the 1980s, and not get remediation and cleanup, some of the most egregious pollution that we have in the entire country, to not get cleanup and accountability there makes no sense whatsoever. So those are two positive, I think very uh, affirmative type of initiatives we're engaged in presently. But look, I mean, others include abandoned mines. Uh, I've reached out to uh, third-party groups, Trouts Unlimited, as an example, where we have hundreds of thousands of abandoned mines in the West, where private sector folks, want, they have the, the capital, they have their expertise and the resources, they want to go in and clean up those mines, but they're concerned about uh, uh, liabilities if something happens during the course of the cleanup. Uh, so we're advancing a good Samaritan approach to that. You know, let, let's get the private sector involved to help advance cleanup in some key areas uh, to avoid things like Gold King as far as a spill. Right. So there, there are many, many airtainment with respect to the NAX program. Uh, we, need to, we need to have, I think, new approaches there, working with counties. Uh, to ensure that we have more monitors as opposed to just using modeling, you know, to get real-time data to evaluate where are the hotspots and where are the concerns. So there's much both in air and water uh, and across the full portfolio of the agency that I see as opportunities right now. How many now. states have you been to so far, and how do you balance your time between D.C. and being outside the Well, highway? we've been, you know, 30-plus states, I think, uh, between 30 and 35 states, and I think that's very important because, you know, both Democrat and Republican governors have told me that, that over the last several years that they have just not had the collaboration with the agency. Uh, and and the issues affecting Utah, the second most dry state in the country, are different than the issues affecting Minnesota uh, with respect to water. So it's important you spend time with these governors and the respective you know, DEQs or DNRs, Departments of Natural Resources or Departments of Environmental Quality, that partner with us. That collaboration, the development of state plans to improve air quality, to address Superfund, et cetera, all very important. And that's the heart of federalism. You know, When you go back to the inception of the Clean Water Act, the inception of the Clean Air Act, 
Congress was very, very prescriptive to put into the statute the importance of partnering with the states. Mm-hmm. That's been lost over the last several years, and, and we're actually giving life to that as we do our work. Right. Now, we're having this conversation here deep in the heart of Northern California. Where do you and California have common ground on the environment? Uh, you know, I think we should have it on multiple issues from lead and these super fun areas that I've talked about. Uh, when you when you think about uh, uh, other issues, uh, I know on on uh, the cafe standards uh, that, that we're working through just now, we've been we've been solicitous of California's input there, and and we want to make sure that we're collaborative. But you know, federalism isn't that California gets to set for the rest of the country what th- those standards are. We have a job to do; they have a job to do, and we want to be diplomatic as we do do our job. But but at at, at some point, we have to make the decision, and hopefully, they'll reciprocate. Okay, two final questions. I know you're jammed for time here. Uh, first one, infrastructure. 2018 election is going to be over. We're going to be looking at a busy 2019 for the president, for Congress. Infrastructure is probably going to rear its head at that point. What's EPA's role in infrastructure? You know, I've been part of a uh, cadre of cabinet officials, uh, about five or six individuals, over the last, uh, you know, seven, eight months developing the infrastructure package. And, and what's really exciting about the infrastructure package the president has put out right. is that it's not just roads and bridges. It's, it is water infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, and our water infrastructure in this country is in, is in desperate need of investment, particularly in, in, as I indicated, aged areas, aged infrastructure that affects lead in our drinking water, but there are other issues. Corrosion control matters. Uh, so, so there's opportunity there with the president's infrastructure package. You know, where it goes this year, I think, is, um, uh, is a good question in light of where we are on the congressional agenda and, and the timing of the election year. But whether it's this year or next year, I'm hopeful that uh, we can get an infrastructure package uh, out there that addresses these concerns. Okay, final question, put it in baseball terms. A lot of people throwing at your head. You're trying to get on base, you're trying to get on the bases, you're trying to get to home plate. How do you get on base and how do you score? But by doing our job. I mean, I tell our team consistently, uh, it's noisy, it's competitive, and, and I think unjustifiably. I mean, we have a lot of common ground on these issues across the country, we, but the politics of the environmental issues in Washington have long been, forgive the reference, toxic. toxic. Right. And, and we're told often that we have to choose between jobs and growth and protecting the environment. I just I reject that. I, I think that's a false narrative. We as a country have always recognized that we can grow our economy and also reduce pollutants and be good stewards of our environment, and we have to choose that path. You know, one example of that, we've reduced those pollutants that we regulate under the Clean Air Act, those criteria pollutants, by over 65% since 1980, but we've also grown our GDP. So we have always embraced a let's have our cake and eat it too approach. And, and I like that approach as well because, after all, what are you supposed to do with cake uh, other than eat it? But, but uh, I think we can actually achieve both things. And, and so as we do our work, uh, we just focus on getting results. That's what's great about this president's leadership. This president is all about getting results, you know, measuring outcomes, in my case, in Superfund, measuring outcomes with respect to water infrastructure to avoid a gold king in Flint, Michigan, you know, measuring outcomes as far as air attainment. Uh, and across the portfolio. So that's what's exciting about serving in this administration and exciting about what's happening in our space. Okay, and one formal question. Your aides are giving me an ugly glare, but one last question. Uh, your favorite accomplishment, your signature accomplishment so far, and point us to something you hope to do between now and a year from now. Look, I think that the, the, the task force that we put into place early on super funds and, and what it's yielding is quite quite substantial. I mean, we got seven sites off the, the list last year. That had not been done in some time. And this year, we expect 25 to 30 sites, which has never been done. And it's a matter of getting accountability. And, and, and these are some, as indicated, Bill, some of the most egregious sites, uranium, lead, dioxin, you know, some of the most uh, um, egregious and, and heavily polluted sites we have across the country. So very, very ex- thankful for the leadership the team is still in there. Um, 
And what was the other part of the question? Uh, a year from now, point is something you want to do. I, I think I think lead is the uh, is the other. Uh, I loved. I hope that a year from now we can see that we've made progress on eradicating lead or starting the process of of, of getting uh, great progress made in, in that issue uh, on that issue. Uh, it's a very important. Okay, Administrator Scott Pruitt, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States, in this case, the Environmental Protection Agency. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of our fellows to your inbox weekdays. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. The Environmental Protection agency is online. Its Twitter feed is at EPA. Catchy. (laughs) For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.